This is Suzanne Cosgrove reporting for John Lothian Noon. We're sitting down today to get an update from NASDAQ's Salim Daya, who has become one of our regulars on this podcast. Salim follows listed cannabis companies, many of which trade on NASDAQ. Welcome. Thanks so much, Suzanne. It's really good to be back. With the regular publication of NASDAQ's fourth quarter report, we now have a full picture of investor activity in the cannabis market in the year 2020. I'm eager to talk about 2021 and also New York's recent legalization of recreational cannabis. But let's look at the fourth quarter report first. Taking a broad view, what were the trends last year and how do you see them playing out this year? Yeah, so that's a that's a really good uh, question, and uh, to be on uh, to be honest, the answer to it is it's quite multifaceted. Um, in Q120, for example, investors were very risk averse, writ large amid the COVID sell-off, um, a preference that essentially exerted downward pressure on equities, especially riskier cannabis names. Hedge funds, in particular, who were more prominent owners across cannabis shares at the time, encountered significant pressure during the COVID-driven volatility and were thus forced to sell down their holdings across the space. However, the designation of cannabis businesses as essential during a string of lockdowns in combination with robust consumption trends and progression along the legalization path served as a boon to the sector, prompting greater institutional interest in subsequent quarters. Now, on the catalyst front, there were a number of key developments, the most notable of which included the November state-level uh, ballot initiatives, which coincided with the federal election, which saw the um, the election of a Democratic kind of pro-cannabis president. Uh, and then really in, in early 2021, January Senate runoff election, which was also a pretty substantial catalyst. Now, of course, we also saw an explosion in retail participation in the broader markets in 2020, uh, a trend that really impacted cannabis names, which have historically already had uh, a higher composition of retail ownership. That retail interest really grew and more recently culminated in the, the February frenzy, shall we say. Um, mm-hmm. So with respect to, 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 to trends, there were really many across the cannabis space in, in, in 2020. Um, I think shifting to 2021, one of the more enduring trends has been a steady pickup in institutional interest as regulation across the space has eased. And with continued regulatory momentum at the state level and some key initiatives being pushed through Congress, which I'm sure we'll touch on a bit later, uh, in an effort to, ca- to tackle cannabis at the federal level, I think 2021 will be an important year for the sector, one very possibly marked by, a further, by further growth in institutional interest. So let's, let's dig into that institutional interest a little bit further. What, what, what do you see in the fourth quarter post? Yes, yeah, so, uh, a good question. I think if we if we look at the fourth quarter pulse um, that we produce here at NASDAQ based on 13F disclosure, we definitely see an increasing uh, institutional footprint. While a good portion of this activity kind of continued to come from higher turnover players like hedge funds, based on some of the top buyers across cannabis companies in the 500 million plus market cap bucket, we continued to see the markings of more long-only asset managers. And so outside of kind of the top 10 buyers, we did see kind of the likes of Federated Hermes, Contrarius, and even American Century um, begin to kind of eke up, eke up to kind of the, the, the top 
10 uh, positions in the list. And these are just a few such names we've seen pick up cannabis exposure as of late. Now, of course, a lot of these purchases continue to remain squarely focused on, on U.S. names. Now, geographically, that interest will remain concentrated in North America, particularly in the United States, which remains the largest source of investment across the cannabis space, ending the quarter with around $15 billion in assets, representing a roughly 50% increase relative to their roughly $10 billion, uh, $10, $10 billion position, shall we say, in Q320. Um, the substantial pickup in, UN, uh, in U.S. investing naturally would have coincided with notable sector catalysts over the quarter, including those state-level ballot initiatives. Um, it's worth mentioning that also international interest uh, across cannabis names picked up over the quarter as well. The amount of assets coming from outside North America, Europe, Japan, and, and even Australia almost doubled from around uh, $88 million in the third quarter of 2020 to around just north of $156 million. Uh, in the fourth quarter of 2020. So um, pretty substantial uh, a pickup in, in institutional interest. That's pretty interesting. The international interest is a little bit of a new factor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's definitely a new factor. I mean, historically, uh, there has been kind of the, these tepid in, um, indications of, uh, of international interest, some select um, non-U.S. hedge funds, but I think uh, that's really begun to change. And I think, you know, Cannabis is definitely capturing the eye, so to speak, um, of a lot of kind of more long-only asset managers. So what stocks were the most notable performers? Yeah, so uh, I think Q4 really saw a lot of small and mid-sized U.S. players kind of top the leaderboard with respect to outperformance. Um, and two such names that, that kind of come to mind are one, Pharmacielo. Um, they actually surged on the back of those state-level ballot initiatives back in November, um, a capital raise and a leadership change. And then the second uh, would be Jushi Holdings, which is uh, which was another notable outperformer uh, as the company has really aggressively continued to expand its retail footprint. How about ETFs? That's a big a big part of this sector, right? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really good question. I think one of the more recently launched products that we that we continue to watch is the uh, Advisor Shares Pure US uh, Cannabis ETF. Right, that that uh, okay. benchmark is essentially less than a year old, um, really started trading around around September. And so um, that that benchmark saw, you know, unprecedented um, activity for the uh, for the fourth quarter of 2020 and more notably, actually, for the first quarter of, uh, of, of 2021. Um, and to maybe take a step back and kind of put this into perspective with re uh, in relation to uh, what asset flows look like across other cannabis benchmarks. We kind of continue to see a lot of inflows into major cannabis ETFs in the first quarter of 2021. Um, the MJ, for example, observed inflows of uh, around $280 million US over the quarterly period. That's $40 million higher than what we saw in, in the fourth quarter of 2020. A lot of those inflows were concentrated in January on the back of those state level ballot initiatives. And now turning back to kind of the MSOs, the Advisor Shares Pure US Cannabis ETF, um, that specific ETF, which again is less than a year old, saw three times the quarterly activity for the MJ. So approximately $820 million US worth of inflows. Um, and here the inflows were actually more dispersed. So they were almost evenly spread across both January and February. And now the assets under management for MSOs, which again is, is barely a year old, is now 1.6 times the, uh, the assets under management for the MJ. 
Uh, and I think this is one of, a, of one of the clear indicators that we kind of um, that we kind of use as evidence uh, to point the, to point to the very substantial interest that we continue to see in, 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 in U.S. exposure. And just for our audience, can you just tell them what an MSO is versus an MJ? Yeah, sure. So the, the MSOs is the Advisor Shares Pure U.S. Cannabis ETF. It's essentially an exchange-traded fund, so it trades like a stock, um, that is actively managed. Uh, and it essentially is concentrated in ownership across, um, across U.S. names. Multi-state operators um, would be kind of uh, what, what that's in reference to. Uh, and then the MJ is essentially um, a, a broad-scale ETF. Um, that is focused on North American cannabis exposure. Also last month when we spoke, a big theme was the retail-led volatility in cannabis shares. You already mentioned a little bit about that, but I was wondering if it's still the case. Is it still going on? Yeah, I mean, as you as you know, uh, when we when we last kind of chatted uh, about some of the recent activity across the cannabis space, volatility uh, across the sector uh, driven by elevated retail participation really emerged as a dominant theme. Uh, options activity across select dual listed names had hit historic highs and had become so elevated uh, that daily options activity across the cannabis space for Q121 had exceeded 2020's daily activity by a factor of over three. Since then, I I think we've definitely encountered some evidence to suggest that retail participation across the broader markets, um, including the cannabis space, has waned. In the case of cannabis names, volumes for March were were less than half of what we saw back in February, uh, suggesting that the retail-driven volatility was somewhat idiosyncratic in nature. It's not to imply that retail activity across the space is insignificant. It still remains a very substantial factor. But uh, rather, this is to say that we that we think retail activity for the time being may have peaked across the space. Um, and I think this definitely makes sense within the context of uh, continued progression along the reopening path, which is seeing a lot of these retail investors essentially direct excess cash toward big ticket expenses, including travel. Um, another piece of the puzzle here is a general easing of options volume. The mm-hmm. last month of the first quarter of 2021, so a fairly consistent decline in options volume. And while uh, Q121 options activity is still notably elevated with respect to daily averages for 2020, um, the recent downward trend in combination with lighter volumes, I think, are really good kind of leading indicators um, that suggest volatility across the space has waned, uh, or at the very least leveled off for now. Also last month, we talked about the market of the U.S. election, and you've talked a little bit about that already. What you haven't really addressed is uh, New York's legalization of recreational mm. cannabis. It's expected to be a huge market, and I just wonder what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, just for some context for your, for your readers on kind of what this legislation entails um, and maybe kind of giving a sense on who, who it's expected to benefit. So New York uh, passed legislation on, on March 31st, essentially legalizing recreational cannabis use for adults over 21. Uh, the legislation also includes an expansion of medical access, which encompasses broadening the list of qualifying medical conditions and permitting the sale of flower products. Now, the nascence of the legislative development ultimately mean that there are still a lot of details that need to be ironed out before recreational sales can actually begin, which many actually don't expect to happen until at least 2022. Now, what we do know so far is that existing medical operators will be allowed to transition 
into the state's recreational market if they pay a fee, and they'll likely have an advantage as vertically integrated players. The law also has a goal of uh, approximately 50% of its licenses directed at social equity applicants, which it defines as those from communities disproportionately impacted um, by drugs um, or, or communities where you have a prevalence of minorities, uh, women, uh, smaller distri distressed farmers, and service-disabled veterans. Um, New York's recreational market is uh, expected to operate as a two-tier system where operators may either be cultivators, so they're allowed to process and distribute their own products, or retailers, essentially limited uh, or rather barred from cultivation. Now, the exceptions to this may be existing medical operators wishing to transition to adult use and micro-businesses. But ultimately, what all this means, I think, is that incumbents will have two distinct advantages um, with the legislation based on what we know. Um, they already have the infrastructure uh, set up to somewhat supply the new marketplace. And they'll also be allowed to both grow and sell cannabis in the, re in the recreational market if they, if they choose. So there's a huge advantage to uh, multi-state operators that may already have a presence uh, in New York. Wow. Now for vertically integrated operators that don't already have a footprint, um, the most likely alternative would, would be to acquire existing license holders. That seems like the most sensible move to me. So I would actually anticipate um, some pretty notable M&A uh, on, the, on, the, on the back of this development. That's an interesting point. What about the hemp CBD market? Are you following any new trends there? Yeah, so I think, and th this really kind of is brought into what, we, what we're really following uh, with respect to cannabis writ large. And the, the simple answer here is going to be regulation. Um, we've touched upon the regulatory landscape surrounding hemp in previous discussions. Uh, as you may recall, hemp remains a federally controlled substance with restrictions on marketing uh, and its inclusion as a product for human and or animal consumption. Perhaps one of the more pertinent developments on the regulatory front uh, has been the reintroduction of the Safe Banking Act in the House of Representatives uh, in around mid to late March of this year, actually. And just for some context for your listeners, the original iteration, which was introduced in 2019, sought to reform federal cannabis laws and key provisions of the act uh, included legitimizing cannabis-related business activity and providing protection for financial institutions that service cannabis businesses. Now, this legislation was reintroduced uh, in March and currently has wide-scale bipartisan support. Uh, notably, the revised version includes hemp-related business protections and a broadened definition of financial services. Um, now, at the moment, the act has yet to be considered during a hearing by the House Financial Services Committee, but given its robust bipartisan appeal, uh, the consensus is that the act will pass sometime this year. And when it does, the implications reasonably go well beyond just hemp and CBD. A lot of the U.S. players who essentially conduct business uh, primarily in cash and have limited access to capital markets uh, will have access to a litany of banking services. And there's a lot of hope here that the act would provide the ability for many U.S. multi-state operators to uplist on U.S. exchanges like NASDAQ and NYSE. Though clarity on actually if this is the case is still needed. Um, I think with the act recently introduced in the House, it's, it's the general consensus is that it's only a matter of time until its passage, especially when we consider again that it, that it definitely has some wide uh, bipartisan support. Let's, let's talk a little bit now about first quarter 2021 performance. Uh, mm -hmm. What was that like? 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, for the cannabis space, the, the first quarter of 2021 was yet another solid quarter. Um, cannabis names surged 38%, essentially handily outpacing every other sector um, and the S&P 500, which gained about 6%. Uh, those gains were uh, a bit dispersed throughout the first two months of the quarter with the January Senate elections, a key catalyst for the space. Um, there was a subsequent substantial climb in February, as, as you may recall from our previous discussions, really driven by yeah. the retail crowd whose, act, whose activity boosted uh, Canadian names in particular. And here, top performers over the quarter, unsurprisingly, would have included some of those dual listed Canadian names or Canadian domiciled names, at least, including the likes of Afria and Tilray, um, which, as we learned from our last discussion, uh, again, um, surged uh, on the back of primarily retail-driven participation. Canadian shares versus U.S. shares, there's still kind of a duality to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much has changed, to, to be quite frank, in, in, in the past year. Uh, looking at Canadian versus U.S. performance, we, we continue to see a divergence with uh, the former outperforming the latter. Canadian players ended the first quarter of 2021 higher by approximately 64% on average versus a 37% gain for U.S. players. So, so the, the divergence still is, is still quite notable. Um, and as we discussed previously, the divergence widened in February amid that retail-driven friendly frenzy rather, and has largely persisted into the end of the first quarter of 2021. So market volatility is still a significant factor or not? So I think, you know, to, to, one, of the, to one of the earlier points, market volatility was definitely notable um, in, in, in the first quarter of 2020, particularly in, in February. Um, we talked about very elevated volumes. We talked about very elevated options activity that actually eased um, in, the, in the last month of 2021. So, so in March, we actually saw a bit of a uh, a bit of a decline in the in the options volume, um, and we right. also saw approximately half half the traded volume across cannabis names versus their February uh, volume averages. Right, so there's some good evidence that that volatility is easing, and when we consider the fact that the uh, economy continues to move along the reopening path, and that retail players are going to be putting those um, are putting their cash to work towards more big ticket expenses, it actually does does make sense because we would also expect uh, a decrease in retail participation across the broader market and by extension cannabis names. Given this, what you just said about volume is easing a little bit in the space and the retail interest being a little calmer, how have asset flows fared in some of the benchmarks for cannabis? So, Robust. They're, they've been quite robust, uh, surprisingly, actually. Um, and I think maybe one of the points to, to maybe reiterate here would be looking at um, the activity for the, the MSOs, which we mentioned earlier, right? Um, I mentioned that um, the MSOs, which is that Advisor Shares Pure U.S. Cannabis ETF, saw approximately $820 million worth of inflows over the first quarter of 2021. Um, that's three times the quarterly activity for the MJ, which is uh, a broad cannabis benchmark that actually looks at not just U.S. exposure, but broad North American exposure, right? And if we actually look at the AUM for the MSOs, which again is barely less than a year old, um, it's now 1.6 times uh, the AUM for the MJ. So there's a huge tilt and a huge favorability um, towards a U.S.-based exposure, even even on the part of of, uh, of, of retail investors. Um, and part of part of what, what what we've been doing here at Nasdaq is we've been keeping a close eye on some of those retail platforms. You know, the Wall Street Bets, 
um, and various kind of uh, pockets of the social mm -hmm. media universe. And, and, even on, uh, and even on those platforms, there's consistent strong mentions um, of specifically U.S. multi-state operators, right? Um, and so retail, retail interest is also, it's also very substantial there too. What about bearish positioning? I know that the, those uh, platforms that you mentioned, they do watch short positioning. So what are you, what are you seeing there? Yeah, so I, I mean, shorts across cannabis benchmarks like the Horizons North American uh, Life Sciences Index um, reside at almost historic lows, right? Um, simultaneously, we've seen a decline in the put-to-call open uh, interest ratio, which is just one proxy for assessing the extent of bearish positioning. Um, this ratio actually sits at its lowest in about two years. Um, and I think if we weigh this, uh, against uh, asset flows, and if we weigh it against some of the uh, ownership trends we've discussed, it's really become uh, readily apparent that long assets continue uh, to move into the cannabis space. So there's some upside still possible as we go oh, into this. Yeah, I, for sure. And and as I mentioned earlier, that Safe Banking Act, um, once it's uh, once it's reviewed and uh, if and when it does receive passage, I think is going to be a key catalyst for the sector that may prompt further interest. Thank you so much for talking with us, Salim. It's really always great to have your insights. As always, thanks for having me. Signing out for now, this is Suzanne Cosgrove for John Lothian News.